Well, hello there. Time again for the Florida Roundtable. I am Melissa Fox, and this week we'll be talking about Asian American businesses, specifically a sushi business in South Florida. Five years after Hurricane Maria made landfall in Puerto Rico, has the relief approach changed to disaster response? We're going to find out about that. Oh, and get ready to sail away. We'll be talking to an Emmy Award-winning director about his new documentary, Hell of a Cruise. Were you on a cruise when the pandemic started? Well, these folks were. And we'll also find out, well, if you're curious about the dietary needs of a rogue T-Rex in New York City, we've got the answers. That and answers to a lot more questions coming up on this week's episode of the Florida Roundtable. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's called What If 2. Again, stay right there. We'll be right back. Recently, I picked up my grandson's backpack and was shocked at how heavy it was. Do you know the average student backpack weighs anywhere between 12 and 20 pounds? That's a big bag to lug around. Now, you may not carry a backpack anymore, but I bet you know what it's like to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. What burdens are you carrying today? Are they relational, financial, stress from your job, difficult health situation? The Bible tells us to cast your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. Now, the burdens will not magically go away, but they will seem lighter and easier to handle. You can find peace even in the middle of life struggles. Give Jesus a try. He loves you, and He will help you carry your burdens. What have you got to lose except a backpack full of trouble? This is Bryant Wright, speaking right from my heart. For more on this and other topics, visit rightfromtheheart.org. Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low we can't publish them anywhere. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. Call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. 802-341-4542. 802-341-4542. That's 802-341-4542. In St. Pete Clearwater, every day is a beach day. And with 35 miles of pristine, sugary white sand, it's easy to see why. So let's grab the beach bag, the beach ball, and the boogie board. Let's pack the suits, the sunscreen, and the sunglasses. Take a dip in the emerald green waters of the Gulf. And then take in a breathtaking sunset at the end of the day. So let's make a beeline to the beach. And let's shine. Plan your next getaway at visitstpeteclearwater.com. You're listening to the Florida Roundtable on the Florida Talk and Entertainment Network. Be right back. Welcome back to the Florida Roundtable. Melissa Fox. And, you know, one of my favorite things is sushi. And I've learned a lot about it over the years. But more importantly, I want to have a go-to sushi guy. I want to know how it works, how you get here, and how you deal with the fact that Asian Americans aren't necessarily Chinese or Japanese, but sushi seems to be American nowadays. And with me now, a very cool guy. He is the CEO of Sushi Maki, and that is Abe Ng. Hi, Abe. How are you? Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Now, South Florida's award-winning go-to sushi restaurant. You have more than 20 locations down there? Yeah, that's right. All in South Florida. Uh, we, we have over 20 units here in the Tri-County area, Miami-based. So that's where our uh, our sweet spot is, uh, oh. Metro Miami. Now, Abe, you you are you are the epitome of the American dream, are you not? Well, yeah, no, I I actually like my new title as the go-to sushi guy for you, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely am a, a product. I'm a son of a of an immigrant, and was always reminded growing up by my father that uh, this is the greatest place to to live and grow up, and uh, America is the greatest country where. You know, Dad came with $70 in his pocket and built an incredible empire himself. And he said that if you grow up poor in other countries, you're probably going to stay poor. This is the country that you can really make a jump, you know, from, from, from one level to the next in, in a single generation. And Dad is kind of living epitome of that. So, Abe, sushi is supposedly Japanese, right? And you just said yeah. you're Chinese-American. How'd you make that transition? Well, uh, Mom and Dad are from, from Hong Kong, so we are ethnically Chinese. It's interesting you say that. We, we use that in our training, that sushi, you know, my generation, and one before probably in, in this country was considered Japanese food. But I think to, to 
next and newer generations, it's just food. Um, and, and the example we always give is pizza, right? Pizza is probably, in, in its providence, uh, Italian, but I think most people don't consider pizza to be, you know, Italian. They consider it American food. We got A being on here. He's my go-to sushi guy now. And with that, I want to say something that shocked a lot of you sushi lovers like myself. Salmon was not a staple. There's so much of our core go-to now in, in sushi, fruit, uh, like mango, uh, cream cheese, that are you know, avocado, that are, are, are staples as ingredients, that to a purist in Japan is a little bit off-putting or maybe even offensive. And, and But, you know, you put pineapple on the pizza, people have very strong opinions. I do. I have that, strong right? opinions about that. Yeah, done below. Uh-uh. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, ketchup, on, ketchup on a hot dog. Oh, I like it on people eggs. Offended by that, too. Yeah. <laughs> people are offended well, by yeah. a lot of things, Abe, a lot. So. Absolutely. <laughs> but I, I will tell you at Tsushimaki, our, our core ingredient, the rice, is a very classic and traditional Tokyo-based rice recipe. And we consider our, our, our sushi instructors to be messing. You know, teaching classics and and production from kind of one generation to the next. So we we don't deviate from uh, just, uh, you know, ingredients and and techniques um, that we learned from our our Japanese uh, sushi chef masters, uh, you know, several decades ago. Mm -hmm. But I think that's uh, the foundation that gives us a lot of integrity in in, in the way we construct the nigiri sushi, the way we uh, do um, the uh, the sushi rice, which is so much of of what you, you, you taste and feel and, and experience when you're eating sushi. Uh, in fact, I think 80% of the people that work in our company, you know, are, aren't born here. And English is maybe not their first language, you know, mostly Spanish speaking. But I think that's one of the things that makes our, our company special since, since we, we are uh, uh, still a, a founding family uh, run company that I can kind of walk up to one of our dishwashers and let them know that I am their child. You know, they, they come here, they work hard. Um, you know, I, I have had advantage of, of being educated in this country, and I think they see that. And that's one of the reasons why we, we've been able to retain our core team members into and through the pandemic. I just think if I were to encourage people that um, uh, the American dream is, is alive and, and well, I think it, 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 it kind of checks all the boxes, you know, this this whole diversity and belonging initiative. And I, we look at it a little differently, you know, not just color of skin, language, or where you're from, but, but multi-generational. In our company, we've got five generations that are working closely together. You've got the greatest generation, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, all working together. So we, we, we think that the, the dream of um, really making a jump from one level to the next doesn't really kind of start where you're from, but Certainly just having that hope that your, your job can be more than just a paycheck, but really can be kind of defining and growing. And I, if I were to encourage people these days is be passionate and, and find an organization that aligns with kind of your uh, your medium and long-term goals. Cool. Abe, we'd love to have you come back again and talk more with us. Uh, this is Abe Ng, founder of Sushi Maki, South Florida. He's also the CEO, and he's going to be my go-to sushi guy. Thanks for joining us today on the Florida Roundtable. Thank you so much. Have a great one. Are you a homeowner and need extra cash to pay off debt, medical bills, education expenses? Or are you planning for retirement? Homeowners like us have most of our money tied up in our homes. But what good does it do if you can't access your money with a real-life checkbook? Easy Knock offers a new way of getting cash out of your home. They buy it from you, and you stay in your home as a renter. And depending on your program, you can also buy it back at any time. If your credit score is not perfect, don't worry. Easy Knock can still help you get the cash you need. If your home is valued at $100,000 or more, take five minutes of your time to learn how to convert the equity in your home into cash. Give Easy Knock a call right now. 800-382-7624. 800-382-7624. That's 800-382-7624. Hello, I'm Hector Elizondo, Emmy Award-winning actor. And I want to talk to you about getting older. My body hurts. My joints ache. And sometimes I forget. I forget that doing all your own scenes for a movie isn't always the best decision. Especially when you're galloping side saddle down a countryside road on a horse named Archie Bello, who seems to have only one speed. High. And pulling on his reins only seems to encourage him to go even faster. So, of course, my body hurts and my joints ache, but it's not because of my age. It's because I'm living my life. Oh, Archie Bello! Don't let life pass you by. Take care of your brain health. 
It may just help you stay on top of your game. As soon as this scene wraps, I'm going to kiss the ground, thank Archibella for his outstanding performance, feed him a carrot, and visit brainhealth.gov. Find out how you can make the most of your brain as you age at brainhealth.gov. Welcome to the Florida Roundtable. Take a look around you. Strange place, isn't it, this world? It's kind of surreal at times, at least in my head. Doesn't it also feel like there's a lot of unexplained and immeasurable absurdity? Don't worry. If you're curious, I've got the guy for you right here. Randall Monroe. He's got another round of answers to weird questions you never thought you would ask. The book is called What If Two Additional Serious Scientific Answers to Absurd Hypothetical Questions. Randall Monroe, welcome to the Florida Roundtable. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I love it. I'm glad to have you here. So tell us a little bit about this whole uh, background of yours, Be, you know, the roboticist. And I mean, wh what is this all about? Well, I, yeah, it's sort of a weird career path. I So I got a degree in physics and uh, worked on robots for a while uh, at a NASA research center in Virginia. But I, while I was doing my physics degree, I would also, I was a big doodler. I wasn't always best at paying attention in class. And I ended up, uh, you know, I would draw little stick figure comics about science or whatever, you know, topics I was interested in at the time. And at some point I started posting those online and, uh, and they started getting shared around. I discovered there are a lot of other people out there who think the same stuff is funny that I do, you know, and who are interested in some of these topics that to me felt like kind of obscure. <laughs> and one of the surprising consequences of that was people started sending me like science questions. Like we want you to settle an argument me and my friend are having about, you know, could Superman really dodge a bullet or what would happen if you stood on top of uh, Old Faithful when it erupted? And and they would, uh, for some reason, turn to me because I, like, drew comics about science, but they would be like, this question didn't seem important enough to bother a real scientist, but we want to know the answer. <laughs> but we'll bother once you. Once they sent it to me, <laughs> yeah, once they sent it to me, I'm like, uh, I, I, would be, I would be miffed, but no, no, I want to know the answer, too. Like, and I would spend, like, you know, go down a six-hour rabbit hole of research of trying to use my physics calculations to figure out the answer. And, and if I did get the answer, it's really satisfying, and I wanted to, like show people what I had learned, you know, figure, hey, I figured this out. Here, here's the explanation. And so I would write my answers out and use, you know, little cartoons to illustrate them. And, uh, and that's how I ended up uh, writing What If and uh, What If 2. <laughs> what If 2 is awesome. What If 1, the first one, was a number one New York Times bestseller. How to, What If, and Thing Explainer, science question and answer stuff. But it's more like science questions and answers for, I say, parents who have the kids who are out. How is the sky is blue? Those kind of questions, they can be answered. These questions, you actually have to do a lot of research and not be phased by any of the goofiness of the question. Is that right? Yeah. And I mean, really, when it comes down to it, I think all all questions, you know, they're, they're some of them have answers that are easy. Some of them have answers that are hard. Some of them, some of them just don't have answers. But, but questions that have answers, even the ones that sound simple, can be really tricky. Like you mentioned, you know, why is the sky blue? And like physicists will tell you, oh, it's because of um, it's this thing called Rayleigh scattering. But like the way Rayleigh scattering works is really complicated. If you really want to trip up someone who knows a little science, ask them why isn't the sky purple? Because short wavelengths of light get scattered more, and purple light is sh has shorter wavelengths than blue light. So how come the sky isn't purple? And that'll stump uh, people, even people with uh, <laughs> physics degrees, have to stop and try to figure that one out. That is awesome. We've got Randall Monroe with us. He's the author of this next book called What If 2. Here's a couple of questions just to give you an idea of what's in it. Uh, if you're curious about the dietary needs of a rogue T-Rex, perhaps in New York City, uh, yeah. How, tell us about dinosaur metabolism. How did you research that question? The dietary needs um, of a rogue T-Rex. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of research on this because, you know, through the whole 20th century, paleontologists were trying to sort out, you know, are dinosaurs warm-blooded or cold-blooded? Are they like lizards that don't move around very much, or are they like really active, you know, mammal-like animals? And the answer is, you know, turned out to be, we finally sort of got it sorted out, is that they're, they're definitely closer to mammals than they are to lizards, but they're sort of in between. So you can figure out, 
there are pretty good estimates now of like the caloric requirements of a T-Rex. And they'd probably be a little lower than like a mammal of similar size, mm. but much more than a big uh, lizard. So I worked out a T-Rex, you'd need, um, if, you, if they consumed an entire person, that would probably be enough for them for the day. Um, if they were picky, they might need a couple of people. Like, I don't know, maybe some parts of us are more tasty than others, so I'd, they'd have to, like... Yeah, agreed. I'm going to I'm gonna <laughs> leave the legs. Those taste terrible. Humans, only the top half of humans taste good. <laughs> a former NASA roboticist, a creator, a brilliant mind. There's a wildly popular webcomic out there about science and technology called XKCD. You wrote that, and out of that genre comes this book, The Thing Explainer, How To and What If, and now we've got What If 2. Here's another one of the questions I saw that caught my eye. Uh, if you rode a helicopter blade, built a billion-story building, or made a lava lamp out of lava, what would actually happen in any of those scenarios? Hmm? Yeah, the, I, I, I really liked the helicopter question because I had never thought about that before. And, like, when, when I saw this question, I'm like, oh, I, I immediately picture, like, a kind of James Bond thing. Like, you know, the helicopter, the bad guy's helicopter is taking off, and the, the, the person jumps and grabs the helicopter blade. Um, and I was thinking it's got to spin you around until it's like a centrifuge or something. It, you know, I imagine someone getting ejected from high above uh, the land. But what surprised me when I sat down to calculate it is even though when those helicopter blades get started, that they look like they're moving really slowly – but they're big, and we're not used to seeing big stuff move that move uh, like that. They're moving really fast, and before they even made a full circuit around, you would be dangling by your hands and like flung off. So it would be like the worst action movie scene ever. You know, the the helicopter just takes thirty seconds to slowly the blade turns, starts turning faster and faster, and then James Bond just plops off onto the ground before it looks like anything's even happening. Um, but you definitely wouldn't want to hang on because if you could hang on somehow, it would definitely tear your arms off and also yeah. tip the helicopter what over. Ab what about building a billion-story building? Could that even be done? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> a little girl uh, asked this one. I, I find a lot of the good questions come from little kids because I think because they don't they don't know enough to know what they're supposed to know and what they're not. They're just curious. They just you know want to ask uh, whatever comes to their minds, um, and so they. So th this question, like, you can't build a billion-story building because of the way Earth's gravity works. Uh, a billion stories is enough that the, the top of the building would collide with the moon. Um, and and you, we also don't have materials strong enough to make one that would hold itself up. It has to hold a lot of weight, um, but the end of it would be swinging around, just like a person at the end of a helicopter blade. And so you have to actually make it strong in tension. It has to keep from breaking off and flying away into space. Uh, and that's something that people are really seriously working on, though, in terms of their, you know, all these proposals to build a space elevator, which would make it a lot cheaper and less polluting to get stuff up into space. So that's a big project. But I, I, so I wrote to the girl who asked, like, we could use some more uh, engineers working on that. If you're, uh, if you're interested in the problem, there are people who will hire you to work on a version of this. Nice. I don't know if it'll have exactly a billion stories, but uh, – <laughs> This is, a, this is a real engineering challenge. This is great. We're talking to number one New York Times bestseller, Randall Monroe. This book is called What If 2. So what if you made a lava lamp out of lava? Um, the problem with lava is that it, it's really hot, of mm -hmm. course, so you'd need to figure out what to make the lamp out of so it wouldn't melt. And it's, it's hot, hard to keep uh, some molten solids molten because they're, you have to get the heat in there somehow, and that will often melt the container. But with a, lava, with a lava lamp, so a regular lava lamp is lit up by a light. A lava lamp made of lava would glow because of the lava, of course. But you'd have the problem that whatever you make the lamp out of is going to be just as hot as the lava, so it's also going to glow because lava glows just because it's really hot. And so you'd, you could have a lava lamp, but the whole thing would be lit up. You wouldn't be able to see the lava moving inside it very well because the glass itself, the sapphire window or whatever you used, um, and whatever the other half of the lamp was, you know, whatever fluid you try to use for that, those would all be glowing. So the whole thing would just glow. And then probably because lava, you know, emits all kinds of gases and you'd have pressure buildups. And uh, I think I would 
regular lava lamps can shatter and actually be pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. A lava lamp full of lava, I would not go near that. Thing. Yeah, that's not going to happen. All right, now we've seen this a million times in cartoon depictions, but could you jump on a geyser as it erupted? Um, you, you could. It, it would not be great. Um, <laughs> there is actually Old Faithful in Yellowstone um, – has as far as I can tell, no one has no one has died from it. But especially in the early 20th century, a lot of people, like every year or two, a tourist would be burned by the geyser going off. Often because they were like, "Well, I want to look down in there and see, you know, where's that water coming from?" It's like exactly, and then like exactly what you expect is what happens. Face you know? gets ripped. Oh no, off. the geyser yeah. erupted, and you've got to get yeah. someone to a burn ward really quick. Um, but yeah, if you did, it would it would definitely uh, burn you. Could easily kill you, and would also, if if you caught it right, it would be able to fling you way up into the air. Um, I don't know though. I think that, that that would probably, the landing there would probably get you before the burns did. But either way, the big thing I've learned from researching this was those signs that they have at Yellowstone, you know, telling you, like, stay on the boardwalks, mm. those are there for a reason. There's mm. a lot of stuff in those geyser fields that can, uh, that can you know, listen to the guides there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, their signs are there for a reason. So we're talking with Randall Monroe. Now, he's an author of a number one New York Times bestsellers. How to, what if, and the thing explainer. The next one here is what if two. He used to work for NASA as a roboticist, but he, he left to draw comics on the internet full time. Yeah, don't tell your kids about that one. Just saying. Hey, you're also in Massachusetts. <laughs> I'm a Nantucketer, born and raised. Oh wow! Yeah, I've been. Uh, I've, I've I went there as a kid. I remember wandering around in the waves, uh, collecting seaweed. Yeah, I good. don't know. I think. I yeah. don't know why we collected the seaweed. don't yeah. think it did us any good. But. Well, you know, something to do. So there you go. Yeah. Where in Massachusetts are you? Before the Internet. Yeah, before the Internet. I'm in the – yeah, I'm, in, I'm up in the Boston area now, but I make it down to the Cape when I can. Very awesome. So what's next? What if three? How to nothing? What are we doing? What's in, what's in the shoot? <laughs> uh, I'm always, I'm always like, trying to pull myself in, like, four different directions, working on all kinds of different things. Uh, so right now I'm really trying to buckle down, and, and, and I'm so excited I just, that this has just gotten out into the world. I'm not even thinking about what I'm going to eat for dinner, let alone uh, next book right now. Well, ride that wave. But, what if two? It's going to be a classic, an instant classic. If you are an inquisitive reader of any age— this is the book for you. I mean, if you wonder when the sun will be cool enough to touch, you need to get this book. Randall Moore, Monroe, it's been a lot of fun, and I've learned a lot. Uh, like, I'll never actually try to jump on a geyser. No way I'm going to be in a billion-story building and really, really not in the mood to ride a helicopter blade either after talking with you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun to think. It is. It is a lot of fun. Randall, it's been a blast. Randall Monroe, go out and get his books. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being on the Florida Roundtable. Good times. It's the Florida Talk and Entertainment Network. We'll be right back. If you're a diabetic, we have great news. You can end the painful finger sticks with a new CGM. Plus, they may be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance. If you test and inject daily, you may qualify. Call U.S. Med now to learn more. 800-513-1652. 800-513-1652. That's 800-513-1652. Hello, friend. Al Purnell here, the sausage man, for Purnell's Old Folks Country Sausage. People ask me how Old Folks Sausage got its name. Well, Old Folks was my daddy's nickname. He got it when he was a little boy being around the old folks and listening to their stories and learning things. That's how he learned to make great tasting sausage the old-time way, and that's still how we make it today. Try Purnell's Old Folks Country Sausage, because it's good. Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Tata. Growing up with a brother with autism, Sarah Crump witnessed firsthand how kids with disabilities felt left out by their peers. It's why at the age of 15, Sarah approached her cheerleading coach, with an idea to include girls with disabilities on her school's cheer team. Well, what started out as an inclusive high school cheer team in a small town in Iowa 
has led to what is now known as Sparkle Effect, a thriving nonprofit with over 180 cheer teams across the United States, bringing students with and without disabilities together through cheerleading. The result? More confidence, higher grades, and better school attendance for kids with disabilities. And for those without a disability, new friends and a greater empathy. You want to learn more? Well, visit disabilitycampaign.org, where we have posted a link to the fabulous work known as the Sparkle Effect. We're here early before they wake up. We stay late. We stay informed. We invest in the latest technology. We take the time to train the next generation of doctors and nurses. We work together to make sure we heal their bodies and their minds. We do this not because it's our job, but because this is about our veterans' lives. This is our mission. More than 300,000 of us working as one, together with families and loved ones. No matter where they live in this country, we'll be there. We all come together and stand together to serve our veterans. We stand strong, united. Stand with us in caring for our veterans. Imagine. Imagine being denied an apartment because of your religion, or your race, or because you have children, or a disability. It's so wrong. Yes, but who has the power to stop this? You do. Each of us has the power. The law is on your side. It's illegal for landlords to discriminate because of race, color, religion, sex, national origin, disability, or familial status. If you suspect that you have experienced housing discrimination, file a complaint with HUD immediately so we can investigate it. Fair housing is your right. Use it. To learn more, visit HUD.gov slash fair housing. That's HUD.gov slash fair housing. Or call 1-800-669-9777. 1-800-669-9777. A public service message from HUD in partnership with the National Fair Housing Alliance. Hey there. It's the Florida Roundtable. Melissa Fox. Hi. A little sleepy. Don't get enough rest. You know, the life of a radio person. We sleep in 24 hours. Well, we work in, you know, 24-hour cycles. It's pretty crazy stuff. But uh, with that in mind, a recent survey said 70% of people are just like me. They <laughs> have trouble sleeping and really are desperate to improve their sleep and daytime functioning. So let's invite Dr. Charlene Gamaldo in. Hello. How are you? Welcome to the Florida Roundtable. Hello. <laughs> oh, so, hello. Thank you for having me. Hi. Everything going all right on your end? Did you get enough rest? Absolutely. Yes, I tried my best to do that. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm waiting alert and ready to tell you about sleep. All right. Now, is it Gamaldo or Jamaldo? Uh, Gamaldo. Okay, so I think I might have actually gotten it right. How about me? All right, but uh, either way, sleepy or not, what is the Alliance for Sleep, and uh, what are the goals? Yes, yeah, so the Alliance for Sleep is a group that I'm really proud to be a part of, and it's a consortium of sleep experts who've really made contributions to the sleep field um, from the domain of sleep research, sleep education, and sleep clinical care. And we wanted to come together to get a better appreciation of the landscape of insomnia in terms of the insomnia sufferers, what's, the, what's you know, impacting them, what are the barriers that they perceive in terms of receiving care. But in addition to that, um, with a survey that sort of launched our understanding, we uh, surveyed 1,000 adults. Um, but also general practitioners and psychiatrists, because we thought that that was also crucial to get their um, context of what's going on, because they're often in the first line for treating folks with insomnia. So our alliance is um, put together to get a better appreciation from these stakeholders so that we hopefully can come up with education, resources, and strategies to tackle this very prominent problem of insomnia. We're talking with Dr. Charlene Gamaldo, and uh, 
You are a professor of neurology at Johns Hopkins University, which is awesome because that means you are uh, top of the stuff right here. I know that sounds weird the way I said it, but again, I'm sleep deprived and I want to find out more. Uh, did any of these, uh, these findings surprise you that, from the Wake Up America survey? Um, yes. I, I would say the most prominent one were a few numbers, and the numbers related directly to the gravity of the impact um, insomnia sufferers uh, endorsed. And, uh, you know, what really stuck out for me was the fact that 19%, 19% of the folks who said that they have insomnia would um, point to insomnia as the reason that they lost a significant relationship. And uh, 30%, close to 30% said that their problems with their sleep was partially responsible for their financial struggles. So that's what stuck out for me is that we always knew that part of the, the diagnostic criteria for insomnia as a medical condition is that it, it should affect daytime functioning. But this survey really woke me up, so to speak, to the gravity um, and of the impact that people are having. Yeah, it seems like it did. Now, I have a question. With inflation, I've noticed some things that people are not purchasing anymore. A lot of them, like uh, your household appliances, but more importantly, mattresses. And I I've got to think that that makes some difference and, and would aid in the uh, length of time that we sleep if we do get to sleep us insomniacs, that is. That's got to be up there too, right? So for sure. I mean, I would say that Insomnia is one of those very complex presentations where many different things can impact the sleep in experience. But one of them includes your actual sleep environment, including your sleep surface. So um, th those are the sorts of ways that the onion needs to be peeled. You know, you talk to the patient about what may be sort of inherently and genetically their sleep makeup but also what medical conditions may be impacting their sleep, but also external to that. What is their sleep surface? What's their sleep environment? What's their, the neighborhood um, or their environment around them? What is that like? Because that can also impact their sleep experience. So as you can see, there's so much to unpack, mm -hmm. and it really becomes a very personalized approach. Dr. Charlene Gamaldo is with us, and uh, I will pronounce your name five different ways times Sunday if allowed. How do you know if it's not just a bad night's sleep or if there's actually something more serious going on? Yes, yeah, so that's an important, important distinction because all of us will have, you know, a one-off bad night's sleep. That's normal. That's going to happen. That's not a medical condition. It becomes a medical condition when the difficulties with sleep, whether it's to get to sleep, stay asleep, or feel rested in the morning, if that's happening more than three times a week for over three months, and you can specifically link it to problems during the day, then it is a medical condition. It's not something to blow off, and quite honestly, you owe it to yourself for, immediate, for immediately feeling better, but also to your long-term health that um, it be discussed with your healthcare provider. Oh, yes. And again, what would you give some advice? What would you say uh, if you're struggling with sleep, they're listening out there right now, what's the first thing and foremost they should do? First thing to do is, you know, um, take stock, you know, do a checklist. Is this something that's a one-off or not? If, if they check the box of those three things, you know, it's happening more than three times a week, for over three months and it's affecting my daytime functioning. Uh, all those boxes are checked, it's insomnia. There's no fancy test needed. There's no device that you need to put on. It, that's, that's, that's the diagnosis. At that point, it's time to say who, what healthcare provider I need to reach out and um, talk to somebody about this in terms of what are some of the options to get better sleep. I also suggest to folks, it, once they get to that point, you know, um, jot things down, right? When does this happen? Um, what exactly are the problems with your sleep? What are what sort of your routine leading up to going to sleep? Because all of that can be very insightful when you have that first visit for you and your healthcare provider to strategize a way 
to either do further investigation or to immediately provide recommendations to improve sleep. So we can go to wakeupamericasurvey.com for more information. And those are very, very key points that we should pay attention to if we are resting uh, and having issues with that. Dr. Charlene Gamaldo, appreciate you coming on Florida Roundtable and talking with me. Uh, Thank you for having me. You're listening to the Florida Talk and Entertainment Network. More Florida Roundtable coming up soon. Hang on. Hey guys, it's been about five years since Hurricane Maria struck Puerto Rico, and we want to see what challenges still exist, what changes, positive improvements have been made. With that in mind, Ivan Rodriguez Wewall, is that how we pronounce that? I no, I'm great for butchering names. Yvonne? No, that's perfect. No, it was close. Okay, you're just being nice. You're the executive advisor for Direct Relief in Puerto Rico. So tell us about some of the changes that have been made in disaster relief since Hurricane Maria five years ago. Good day, Melissa. Thank you for having me. Of course. So uh, so, um, in terms of improvements, I think uh, Puerto Rico is now much better prepared than we were um, five years ago uh, to respond to future emergencies. And not only here in Puerto Rico, but also in our Caribbean neighbors. Because as you know, I work for Direct Relief. Direct Relief is a nonprofit that helps, um, among other things, improve the the access to health services to people that have been affected by poverty or natural disasters. So um, in doing so, uh, in Puerto Rico, Uh, we have been implementing different programs and initiatives that um, have helped us in Puerto Rico uh, improve our resilient energy. Um, We have been able to expand the the delivery of care through telemedicine projects, through mobile medical units that have been donated so that clinics can actually go to very rural areas in Puerto Rico and provide services there. Um, We have also helped uh, bolster the communications through radios, that's one of the things that after Maria um, lacked um, the communications, um, same as with energy, um, and also with uh, critical infrastructure improvements in hospitals and health centers around the island. So it's it's been a lot. It's been a lot during these five um, years, and um, I think we're definitely better prepared uh, to respond health-wise. Uh, to future any future emergencies. Yeah, the hurricane season is not over, my friends. Matter of fact, we're in the peak area, and we've been lucky so far. Uh, how can we get more information and help out Direct Relief? So you can visit our webpage. It's directrelief.org, directrelief.org. Um, we have lots of information about how to better prepare yourself and your communities, all, uh, all of the programs that we are running here in Puerto Rico and all over the states, other states as well. So I invite everybody to just check, check us out. Yeah, we'll do that. No problem. Thank you so much for your work. Yvonne Rodriguez-Wewall, she's the executive advisor for Direct Relief in Puerto Rico, Caribbean as well. Thanks for joining us today on the Florida Roundtable. Thank you. You're listening to the Florida Roundtable on the Florida Talk and Entertainment Network. I am Melissa Fox. We'll be right back. The old way of living with diabetes is a pain. You've got to remember to do your testing and always need to stick your fingers to test your blood sugar. The new way to live your life with diabetes is with a continuous glucose monitor. Apply a discrete sensor on your body, and it continuously monitors your glucose levels, helping you spend more time in range and freeing you from painful finger sticks. If you are living with type 1 or type 2 diabetes and you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, you might be eligible for a CGM through your insurance benefits. U.S. Med partners with over 500 private insurance companies and Medicare. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill your insurance. Call us today for a free benefits check. 800-513-1652. 800-513-1652. 800-513-1652. That's 800-513-1652. It has been said that everyone has a book in them. But do you have the time or the ability to write your book? Maybe you picked up some skills or had a life experience that you want to pass on in the form of a book to help others. Maybe you want to leave an autobiography for your family. Or maybe you've built a successful business and you want to share your story. 
At Dorrance Publishing Company, we have professional writers who can help turn your book idea into a finished manuscript quickly and affordably. A Dorrance ghostwriter can provide as much or as little help as you need to complete your book. You'll work directly with your ghostwriter to finish your book faster than you ever could on your own. It's easy to become a published author. Call Dorrance now to learn more. 800-485-6003. Call right now. That number is 800-485-6000. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hi. All right. We're I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Let's talk about this hell of a cruise, shall we? I get a little intro, and then we'll take it away, okay? Okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. Boom. All right. Full steam ahead. Full steam ahead. That's right. Whoa, we're ready to go cruising. You remember back in the pandemic? <laughs> like it was so far ago. I've got Nick Quest with me. He is uh, doing this Peacock Dock Fest called Hell of a Cruise. And it must have been a hell of a cruise. Hey, Nick Quested, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm glad. I want to hear about it. You know, here in the state of Florida, we were very concerned about the people who went out cruising just as the pandemic and the lockdown started. So go ahead and give us a little background on this uh, ship. Well, actually, the Diamond Princess left port in Japan. A passenger... Uh, disembarked in Hong Kong who had COVID, and um, but the ship kept on sailing until it got to uh, Yokohama, and then the um, the passengers were quarantined for 14 days. The ship that left from Fort Lauderdale was the Costa Luminosa. That again had COVID on it, and instead of stopping the boat and quarantining, they sailed across the Atlantic. But the good thing is that they kept the bars open and the casinos open for the passengers. Woohoo! But was it an open bar, Nick? Mm, no. <laughs> no, it was not an open bar. <laughs> <laughs> so this floating paradise, both of them, the one out of uh, Japan, the one out of Florida, both of them ended up being basically an infested jail. That's got to be crazy. Yeah, so, so the passengers on the Diamond Princess were quarantined for 14 days in Japan. And then uh, Dr. Robert Cadillac, who's the assistant secretary, he sent a disaster murder medical emergency team to, to repatriate them. So they triaged the passengers on the boat, and they packed them onto two airplanes, 385 passengers, and, um, and flew them back to a variety of uh, Air Force bases in America for another quarantine of 14 days. Oh my goodness, this is not good. And that experience has, as we call it, a hell of a cruise. It's this new film from Emmy Award-winning director Nick Quested, who's on the horn with me right now. And it basically pulls back the curtain on a two-week claustrophobic nightmare aboard the plague-ridden Diamond Princess at the beginning and the height, really, of the COVID-19 pandemic. How were uh, now Goldcrest Films? That's your uh, your company you own. Your executive director. You guys have done an awful lot uh, of different of different works uh, and people you've worked with: Dr. Dre, Common Naz, uh, P Diddy, Sting, all kinds of stuff. But how did you get the meat of this documentary together? How did you do that? So I was brought the footage by my partners, uh, Matt Films, uh, who made a film about the Fire Fest. So Medi and Brett came to me and said what do you think of this? And I was like, well, this is, an, this is a way to personalize um, the beginning of the pandemic. So, you know, this film, you know, evoke, you know uh, this film will evoke the feelings that everyone felt at the beginning because this was the first super spreader event. This was the canary in the coal mine. And beyond that, what's the tragedy is that the doctors who were mustered to, to repatriate the patients said, we knew everything we needed to know about COVID-19 after we got off the Diamond Princess. They knew how infectious it was. They knew its morbidity rate. They knew. And the, the tragedy is that America didn't face COVID-19 with, with unity. It became polarized. So I think if there's a takeaway from this film, that if we do face a public health issue, of such similar gravity, 
perhaps we can face this with with um, solidarity rather than polarization. Oh, agreed. Yes. A political so, game. I, I couldn't believe it. Well, yeah, it, literally, we became political pawns. Vaccine, no vaccine, lockdown, no yeah. lockdown. It was crazy. We're talking with— Mask, no mask. Yeah, oh, God. Didn't want to bring that up. That gets, I, I didn't want to argue with you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Emmy no. Award-winning <laughs> exactly. director. Yeah, exactly. Everyone had an opinion, and nobody wanted uh, the opposite to even give any leniency at all. Now, this video— Everyone was an expert on COVID, oh. except for and not listening to the experts. Right, right. <laughs> we all became doctors <laughs> on the Internet. Yeah, you know, good times. <laughs> right. We're talking with Emmy Award-winning director Nick Quested. His new documentary going to be airing on Peacock. Um, when's it available to stream? Is it already up? It's streaming now on Peacock. It's the first film in the Doc Best series. Oh. And there'll be a new documentary every week on Peacock uh, throughout, throughout the fall. Oh, wow. There's some great films coming, too. So this Big shout-out to Joe Berlinger. He's got a great film. Yeah, what's his about? What's coming up for Joe? Uh, his is a true crime uh, series. Oh, love that. Um, and Joe's an excellent director. Go and, you should check him, for sure. I think I might. I think I might. So this film that we're talking about, this Doc Fest, the first one, Hell of a Cruise, is about the pandemic. If you're just tuning in, the luxury diamond princess set sail January 2020. No idea that the coronavirus was lingering. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you have used yeah. never-before-seen self-shot footage from passengers because everybody has a cell phone now. So there was a lot of video to work with? There was a lot of video to work with, but it's interesting when when passengers shoot shoot video, they shoot their holidays, their vacations. So they don't shoot it in a way that um, a professional does. There's no reaction shots. So we had to find moments where multiple passengers were shooting the same scene and create nexus points um, because the footage gave you access to the... Uh, their experience and and their experience is what what you're looking for when you're building. You know, we're trying to build empathy and sympathy for these people. Certainly. So you're kind of looking in the background or foreground of these videos to see action on the side or the peripherals too. Yeah, we're 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 trying to make links between you know between the passengers. So we're we we spotted other passengers in the background of other people's footage and um, you know. It's it's almost a, a sort of a a forensic um, uh, in, a forensic effort to, to to find these links. So these cruisers, these folks that were on the cruise, um, what kind of experiences did they say uh, was going on when they were there? Where, what kind of reactions did you find? Well, the, I mean, the passengers were scared because um, this was the beginning of the pandemic, and no one knew anything about anything at that point. They didn't know whether they got it through touch or through the aerosol or through the ventilation system. So they had no idea. So this, this, it, was, it, it feels like a horror film with this impending, invisible enemy that's just, you know, taking people off the boat. Because if you became infected with COVID on the boat, they took you in an ambulance to one of the local Japanese hospitals. And, you know, you know as one passenger says, you know, we may be talking to someone, you hear them cough, and then you never see them again. Oh, goodness. Wow. The uh, the documentary is called Hell of a Cruise. You can find it on uh, Peacock. You can stream it off of that app. And it sounds like a really very interesting documentary that we need to learn. We need to learn from. Like you said, there's a lesson, and that is uh, stop polarizing everybody here. It's not political. <laughs> hey, Nick Quested, thank well, you everything. so much. Yeah, right? Everything. Nick Question, thank you so much for sharing Hell of a Cruise with us on the Florida Roundtable. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. You're listening to the Florida Talk and Entertainment Network. More Florida Roundtable right around the corner. Heart valve disease is more common than you or your doctor may think, especially as you get older. It's serious but treatable with a proper diagnosis. If you or a loved one are experiencing shortness of breath, fatigue, chest tightness, or pressure, dizziness or fainting, talk to your doctor and ask for an echocardiogram to get diagnosed early and enjoy your best quality of life. 
Learn more at askforecho.com. That's ask the number four, echo.com. Life can be full of risks. One thing you shouldn't take a risk with ever is your family's health insurance. If you're self-employed or you now need affordable health insurance, you need to make this free call right now and see how the health insurance helpline can help you get it. We specialize in helping the self-employed and people just like you that need affordable health insurance to get it. We have short and long-term health insurance plans and some even cover dental, vision, and prescription drugs. Don't take a risk with your family's health insurance, it's not worth it. If you're self-employed or now need affordable health insurance, call right now and learn for free how to get it. Listen, affordable health insurance plans for everyone just like you are a free phone call away. So give us a shout right now. 800-398-0651. 800-398-0651. 800-398-0651. That's 800-398-0651. Do you use Viagra or Cialis? Have you been thinking about trying Viagra or Cialis? What if we could promise you the same results for less than $2 a pill? If you're paying $20 a pill for Viagra, you're being taken to the cleaners. Our pill delivers the exact same results for less than $2. We'll do the math for you. You save more than $16 a pill for the same results. Want more? We'll give you 45 blue pills or 45 yellow pills for $99 and add five more pills free. You save more than $500. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know what to do next. You need to call us at 800-975-1374 and get your 50 pills for just $99. Stop overpaying for Viagra. Call us and start saving a ton of money for the exact same results. Ordering is fast and easy with your pills delivered to your door in an unmarked package. Call us right now. 800-975-1374. 800-975-1374. Shortness of breath. Patients confused. Temp 102. He just had an infection. What's going on? He's becoming septic. Antibiotics started. Bed ready. Let's move him. Infections can lead to a deadly chain reaction in your body called sepsis. Very quickly, sepsis can cause tissue damage, organ failure, and even death. If you know the risks, can spot the symptoms, and act fast, then you can get ahead of sepsis. Learn more at cdc.gov sepsis. My muscles ached. I was tired all the time. My son had a full-blown asthma attack. It came out of nowhere. The unsettling thing about some symptoms is... I had a fever and these terrible headaches. You don't always know what's causing them. It was Lyme disease from a tick bite. I had Zika virus from a mosquito. He had a reaction to cockroach allergens. Threats to your health can come from unexpected places. Get the facts. Visit PestWorld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association. It's Melissa Fox. want to thank everybody out there for participating today in the Florida Roundtable. And remember, you can find replays of the show on the iHeartRadio app. Just search Florida Roundtable. Today, one in five working-age Americans has a mental health condition. People in all types of jobs and at all levels. And the key to helping us succeed is a supportive and inclusive workplace. All of us have a role to play in making that happen. So what can I do to help? As a CEO, I can set the tone for supportive culture. As a manager, I can offer assistance and accommodations. As a coworker, I can listen and be a source of support to my colleagues. As someone with a mental health condition, I can ask for what I need to perform my best. I can offer all employees the supports they need to deliver on the job for the team and for the business. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I can remind others that we all benefit from workplaces that promote good mental health. Mental health friendly workplaces are more important than ever and all of us have a role to play in promoting them. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. You've been listening to the Florida Roundtable, a news and public affairs presentation of the Florida News Network. The views and opinions expressed during this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of this station's management, ownership, or sponsors. For questions or comments, write to Florida Roundtable at fnnonline.net. <laughs>